Hello and welcome back to The Adventures of Lola Badiola. In the last episode, we discussed blind dates, uncomplicated sex, and oxymorons. In this episode, we're going to return to some basic business English. And more importantly, we're going to find out what happened to Lola Badiola after her night out with the man from the Red Bull Racing Team. So let's get straight back to the story. The Adventures of Lola Badiola Chapter 14 Waking Up Even before Lola opened her eyes, she knew that she was waking up in someone else's bed. It smelled different, the scent of an unfamiliar washing powder. She tried to remember what had happened the previous night and became aware of a slight ache in her head. She could hear the movement of pots and pans in a distant kitchen. Somebody in the apartment was already awake. She opened one eye. She was lying alone in a double bed. She asked herself the obvious questions. Where was she? How did she get here? And, most critically, whose bed was she in? A shot of adrenaline passed through her body, and she sat upright. She was wearing her bra, panties and socks underneath an oversized t-shirt with the Harvard University logo. The events of last night came rushing back to her. The red wine, the tears, the hugs, and Mr. Red Bull. She heard a deep voice nearby, and then the door of the bedroom started to open very slowly. She stared at it like a deer in the headlights. A man's face appeared from the other side of the door. Good morning, he said. Lola rubbed her eyes. The man was tall and muscular, much bigger than the one she had met the previous night. He smiled at her, and then turned and shouted in the direction of the kitchen. Hey, Concha, sleeping beauty's awake. Perfect timing, Concha shouted back. Lola sank back into the bed in relief. The man was Eugenio, Concha's loving husband. Come on, he said. You've got a fruit smoothie with your name on it waiting in the kitchen. Lola got out of bed and headed through to the kitchen, apologising sincerely to Eugenio, who had clearly spent the night sleeping on the sofa. I didn't know where I was, said Lola, with an embarrassed smile. When did you redecorate the flat? Just after I got back from Angola, replied Eugenio. Eugenio Hernández had been married to Concha for just over a year. He was a freelance documentary filmmaker currently working for the World Wildlife Fund, WWF. That morning he was particularly excited as he was flying out to Davos to interview politicians, environmentalists and business people at World Economic Forum, WEF. Lola admired Eugenio and asked him a lot of questions about his job. He was always jetting off to exotic locations to make films about endangered animals in stunning landscapes. He was incredibly knowledgeable about world affairs and spoke at least five different languages. He was also a wizard in the kitchen, the fruit smoothie he'd prepared for Lola being a testament to his abilities. Concha and Eugenio were an odd-looking couple. She was petite and pretty. He was almost two metres tall and had a face that had taken a few knocks from his days as a competitive rugby player. Despite their physical differences, 
they were perfectly matched in every other way. It was no secret that they were making a big effort to have a child whenever Eugenio was in town. So, said Eugenio with a wicked smile, what did you think of your blind date? Lola took a sip of her smoothie. Mr. Red Bull was a nice guy. He was interesting, funny, and a good listener. At the end of the evening, he had walked her back to Conscious Apartment and kissed her good night. Lola searched her memory for any embarrassing moments, any silly comments or actions that she regretted. But, for once, there were none. After her tears in the bathroom, the evening had gone very smoothly, and she felt good about herself. "'He's all right?' she said nonchalantly. "'Just all right? Come on, guys, I've got a lot on my plate right now. Wouldn't you like to settle down with an Eugenio in your life?' Concha wrapped her arms around her husband and pinched his chubby cheeks. Eugenio kissed his wife and pulled away. "'Listen, girls, I need to pack my bags for the trip.' "'Yeah, and I need to get ready for work,' said Lola. "'Concha, can I borrow a suit?' "'Sure, let's get this show on the road.' Lola had a quick shower and then squeezed herself into one of Concha's suits. It was a couple of sizes too small for her, the bottom of her thighs showing beneath the skirt and her bust pushed upwards and outwards by the jacket. It wasn't particularly comfortable, but it would do for the coming day. Lola took a short bus ride from the apartment to the office on Gran Via, which meant that she arrived on time for work. She smiled at the doorman as she entered the Adriatica building and took the stairs up to the third floor. She was humming a little tune, feeling good about herself as she walked into the office. The first thing she saw was Cayetano waiting at her desk. He was with two other men, one tall, young and northern European, the other short, old and Spanish. She had no meeting booked in her agenda, so she wondered who the two men might be. "'Morning, Lola. Nice suit,' said Cayetano, as he moved to the side. One of the strangers stepped forward to introduce himself. "'Good morning, Miss Badiola. My name is James Bach, and this is my partner, Guthman Thunthanegi. We work for the Cybercrime Division of Interpol, and we would like to ask you a few questions about a recent corporate hacking incident.' Just when you thought that Lola's life couldn't get any more complicated, along come the men from Interpol. I wonder what questions they're going to ask her. Well, we'll find out in the next episode. But right now, let's focus on improving our business English. Have another listen to this phrase, and then we're going to discuss interrogatives again. She asked herself the obvious questions. Where was she? How did she get here? And, most critically, whose bed was she in? Okay, let's review interrogatives. What I'm going to do today is cover what I consider to be the big five. These are five interrogative sentences that high, intermediate or advanced speakers shouldn't have any problems with but often do. And to illustrate what I mean, we are going to play a game. And here's how it works. I'm going to make a statement, and then you are going to ask the question that corresponds to that statement. For example, 
I say, my name is Sam. And you say, what's your name? You got it? It's simple, right? But it's important that you actually play along with the game and you say these questions out loud. Then you're more likely to remember them and really familiarize yourself with them going forwards. So here we go. I'm going to make the statement and you're going to ask me the question. This is my computer. It's this pen, not that pen. I go to the gym three times a week. He is tall, he has dark hair and blue eyes. He is patient, thoughtful and empathetic. Okay, what is the question sentence that corresponds to each of these statements? It's not that easy because I have chosen the interrogatives that most of my students struggle with. So here we go. These are the answers. This is my computer. Whose computer is this? So don't forget the interrogative pronoun whose, spelt W-H-O-S-E. And make sure you get the order of these words correct. Whose computer is this? Not... Whose is this computer? Okay, question number two. Is this pen not that pen? Which pen is it? Once again, be careful with the question order. Not which is the pen, but which pen is it? Question three. I go to the gym three times a week. How often do you go to the gym? Not how many times do you go to the gym, but how often? Okay, question four. He's tall, he has dark hair and blue eyes. What does he look like? Okay, it's not how is he. What does he look like? It's a very unusual grammatical structure and you just have to memorize it. When we are asking about somebody's physical appearance, we use the sentence, what does he look like? Okay, the fifth and final statement was, he is patient, thoughtful, and empathetic. What's the question? What is he like? Once again, it's not how is he, but when we're asking about somebody's personality, we use the interrogative phrase, what is he like? When we ask about their physical appearance, we use the phrase, what does he look like? So how did you do? Did you get them all exactly right? If not, what I suggest you do is try this exercise again. Just rewind it and try to get it deeply into your long-term memory. Okay, let's move on to an interesting expression that could apply to many business situations. And then the door of the bedroom started to open very slowly. She stared at it like a deer in the headlights. A deer in the headlights. So you can imagine a deer crossing a country road in the dark. Suddenly a car comes speeding around the corner. The deer stops 
and stares at the oncoming headlights. And rather than rushing back into the forest, it is frozen to the spot, unable to react to the oncoming danger. So when we say that someone is like a deer in the headlights, we say that they are in a state of extreme surprise, fear or confusion. They seem so frightened that they cannot think clearly. They do not know what to do, so they don't do anything. So, for example, you might say, when I told the factory manager that the inspectors would be arriving in 15 minutes, he looked at me like a deer in the headlights. Okay, we've reached chapter 14 of this podcast. Congratulations for making it this far. And I use a platform called Buzzsprout to monitor the distribution of each episode of the podcast. You see, when you release a podcast, you get a ton of data from various different sources, including Spotify and Apple. It's really amazing. You get a precise picture of who is listening to your podcast. The ages, the different countries they're based in, the cities, the devices they're using, the length of time each person spends on the podcast. It's quite insane, the amount of data that you get. It's aggregated, so it's not broken down on an individual basis. So don't worry. Don't get paranoid. I'm not watching everything you do. But let me focus on one of these data points that I found particularly interesting. In which countries is this podcast most popular? So I was analysing this, de- this data earlier on this week. And the largest group of listeners are Spanish speakers, both in Spain and in Latin America. So we have a lot of listeners in Argentina, Colombia and Mexico. And this doesn't surprise me, considering that I am based in Madrid and so is Lola. However, we have made a big effort to ensure that this podcast is for all non-native speakers, wherever you are from. So it's interesting to see where else this podcast is listened to. Can you guess the next biggest territory for a business English podcast after Spain and Latin America? I almost fell off my chair when I saw the data. It's the United States and then the United Kingdom. Now, I think this is a mix of non-native speakers living in these two countries. But I also believe and I hope that there are some native speakers, apart from my mum and dad, who listen to this podcast. Because a lot of native speakers were never taught the rules of grammar in school. I wasn't. I didn't know what a first, second or third conditional was until I started my teacher training course. Now, I've always used these grammatical structures, but I didn't know how to define them 
and I didn't really know how they related to each other in a theoretical sense. And it's actually quite interesting to learn more about the underlying structure of your language. So I hope that there are some native speakers listening to the podcast. Also because I'd like them to understand the challenges that non-native speakers face. The difficulty with phrasal verbs, with expressions and metaphors, with business jargon, and with pronunciation. Perhaps there are some native speakers who will modify and simplify the way that they communicate in international business after hearing these episodes. So, in summary, what are the top 10 countries where this podcast is listened to? Here they are. This is the top 10. Spain, Argentina, United States, United Kingdom, Germany, Colombia, Italy, Mexico, France, and Switzerland. So let's do a global challenge for our global audience, for our multilingual global audience. Listen to this sentence again, and then I'm going to give you a very interesting quiz. Here we go. He smiled at her, and then turned and shouted in the direction of the kitchen. Hey, Concha, sleeping beauty's awake. Let's test your knowledge of classic Disney cartoons. So I'm going to say the character in your own language. In Spanish, Italian, French and German. And then you are going to translate that into English. Okay? Yes, I know this is a business English podcast. But these are culturally relevant terms. And you will hear native English speakers referring to them in comparisons, in metaphors and in jokes. So it's information that's good to know. So here we go. This is our first Disney character. I'm going to start in Spanish, then Italian, then French, and finally German. And you are going to tell me what it is in English. Okay. Are you ready? La bella durmiente. La bella adormentata. La belle au bois dormant. And finally, in German, Dornrüschen. This, of course, is Sleeping Beauty. Okay, here we go. Here's our next character. Starting in Spanish, ending in German. Blancanieves. Biancanieves. Blanche Neige. And finally, in German, Schneewittchen. This, of course, is Snow White. Okay, and our third and final character. Here we go. Cenicienta. Cenerentola. Cendrillon. And finally, in German, Aschenputtel. This, of course, is Cinderella. Now, from that little exercise, you can really tell the difference in the root languages between the Romance languages of Spanish, Italian and French and the Germanic language of modern German. It really was, the last word really was the odd one out. 
Now, I wish to take this opportunity to apologize to my German friends, Elmar, Alexander, and also Dominic, my friend and one of my clients, who did his best to help me with the German pronunciation there. I also wish to apologize to my Italian brother-in-law, Vito, for my Italian pronunciation. And finally, to Emmanuel Macron and the nation of France for my French pronunciation, considering I studied French for about 10 years in primary and high school. At least my wife thinks my Spanish pronunciation is adorable. I don't know where and I don't know when you'll find this information useful. But believe me, one day you will. And also, while we're at it, make sure that you know the names of the seven dwarves. Because one day someone, your kids, your nieces, your nephews, is going to ask you that question. I guarantee it. Okay, now let's get back to some classic business English. Have a listen to this sentence again. He was a freelance documentary filmmaker currently working for the World Wildlife Fund, WWF. What is a freelancer? And what is the difference between a freelancer and a self-employed person? Well, legally speaking, freelancers and self-employed people are really treated in the same kind of way. But there are a few differences. The main difference is how you work. So freelancers tend to do multiple short-term jobs for lots of different businesses. While self-employed people are probably running their own little business and they have more autonomy. Freelancers almost always work alone. For example, they work on a particular project for a client, usually for an hourly or set fee. However, a self-employed person who's working for themselves can also bring in other employees or even contract freelancers to undertake work for them. Okay, so that's the basic difference between freelancers and self-employed. Even though for tax purposes and regulatory purposes, they're pretty much treated like the same thing. So in this case, Eugenio is a freelance documentary filmmaker. So he's doing multiple short-term projects for lots of different producers. Okay, one final expression, an expression that encapsulates the life of Lola Badiola at the moment. He's all right, she said nonchalantly. Just all right? Come on, guys, I've got a lot on my plate right now. I've got a lot on my plate. This means that you have a lot of work to do, or you have a lot of issues to deal with, or you have a lot of problems to solve. And normally you use it when someone asks you to do something for them, and you simply do not have the time to do it. Do you have a lot on your plate at the moment? Well, I hope that you have at least some time to join us for the next episode of The Adventures of Lola Badiola. And of course, if you wish to improve your business English in a more formal manner, then please join us 
on our online business English platform. Just search Club Grattan on Google and you'll find us. Until then, keep practicing and don't forget to memorize the names of Snow White's seven dwarves. <laughs>